Hi everyone, welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Ambulatory Podcast Series. This is Juan Chango, I'm one of the Chief Medical Residents at the University of Connecticut Internal Medicine Residency Program. In this podcast, we will talk about treatment of depression. Our goal is to summarize the pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic therapeutic options to treat patients with unipolar major depressive disorder. Please check out our last week's podcast where we discussed the screening and diagnosis of depression. First, let's discuss the treatment overview of unipolar major depressive disorder. There are two main treatment options for depression, including pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic. Something important to consider is that the combination of these two is more effective than any of the therapies alone. For example, a patient receiving pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy will have better outcomes than if we used any of those options separately. Second, what are the pharmacologic options? There are several classes of medications that we can use for the treatment of depression. Antidepressants are the main stem therapy and include the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs, the serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors or SNRIs, atypical antidepressants, serotonin modulators, tricyclic antidepressants, and monoamine oxidase inhibitors. The efficacy of the different antidepressants is generally comparable across and within the classes. Therefore, choosing a drug will depend on other factors including safety profile, side effects, comorbid illnesses, drug interactions and concurrent medication use, ease of use, cost, and patient's preference. For example, if a patient has chronic pain and depression, the use of a medication with both an antidepressant and analgesic effect will be best as long as the risk and benefit equation is favorable for that patient. In general, SSRIs, SNRIs, atypical antidepressants, and serotonin modulators are reasonable first-choice alternatives. In contrast, tricyclic antidepressants and monoamine oxidase inhibitors are not preferred initially due to their unfavorable side effect profile. Examples of SSRIs include fluoxetine, escitalopram, citalopram, paroxetine, sertraline, among others. SSRIs are highly effective. Clinical benefit can be appreciated after two weeks of initiation of therapy, but it is important to wait for at least 6 to 12 weeks for a clinically relevant response. A clinically relevant response means a reduction in symptom severity for at least 50%. We can use the PHQ-9 scale to calculate the decrease in symptoms. The most common side effects include sexual dysfunction, weight gain, drowsiness, insomnia, and gastrointestinal upset. The sexual and gastrointestinal side effects are common reasons for discontinuation of therapy by patients. Elderly patients are at increased risk for hyponatremia as well. Examples of SNRIs include venlafaxine, duloxetine, and levomilnacipram. The side effect profile is similar to the SSRI category. Atypical antidepressants include mirtazapine and bupropion. Mirtazapine improves insomnia and increases appetite, which could be helpful in certain patients. Bupropion has less side effect profile, but it does lower the seizure threshold, which is relevant in patients at risk or diagnosed with seizure disorder. Serotonin modulators include trazodone, bortiexetine, and efazodone. 
Tricyclic antidepressants can include amitriptyline, nortriptyline, clomipramine, among others. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors include selegiline, phenelsin, and others. An important task for providers is to analyze the drug-to-drug -drug interactions and avoid using medications with similar side effect profile and serotoninergic activity to avoid the risk of serotonin syndrome. Some tools that we can use for checking the drug-to-drug -drug interaction include Lexicom or Micromedics. Third, let's discuss how to start and monitor pharmacotherapy for depression. Usually, starting an antidepressant at a low dose helps reducing side effects. Improvement can be apparent as early as two weeks after the initiation of medication. Importantly, there is a black box warning for antidepressants increasing the risk for suicidal thinking and behaviors compared to placebo in short-term studies done in children, adolescents, and young adults. Therefore, close monitoring is necessary after the initiation of therapy, which could be done in about a week. A trial of 6 to 12 weeks is recommended in order to assess the full effect of our treatment. However, it is reasonable to go to the next step after 4 weeks if patients have had only minimal benefit, which will mean less than 25% reduction in symptoms. Therapy may need to be changed due to two reasons, side effects or lack of response. If side effects are the reason, it is recommended to switch the class of medication since the side effect profile is similar among those classes, for example SSRIs. However, if lack of response is the reason, we could try a different medication in the same class or change classes altogether. In general, an approach we can have can be the augmentation of the initial antidepressant with a second drug or adding psychotherapy rather than switching to another treatment unless the medications were not tolerated in the first place due to side effects. Fourth, non-pharmacologic therapy. There are multiple non-pharmacologic therapeutic options for the treatment of depression, including cognitive behavioral therapy, behavioral activation, interpersonal therapy, problem-solving therapy, and others. Psychotherapy can be effective, but as mentioned previously, when used in combination with pharmacotherapy, it becomes more effective. The downsides to psychotherapy include the limited availability of providers and centers across the United States, costs, and insurance coverage. Finally, it is crucial to assess for bipolar disorder and maniac symptoms before starting an antidepressant, as if we do, we may provoke a maniac episode. Thank you for listening. We will see you in our next episode.